Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we all have PhDs, pretty huge drinking problems. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this we'll week never we be president. Just took about 175 episodes for that to be <laughs> official. Yeah. This is the one. Anything before <laughs> was totally fine. This was the last draw. Yeah. And this week we are reading Stoner in honor of 420 <laughs> by John Williams. Not uh, the guy who wrote Star Wars music. No. But, I was very sad to find out. And I think Nate's starting with a beer. I am. This is called Soft Spoken by Killsborough. This is a sour IPA with marshmallow and mango. Ooh. 6.4% alcohol. Yeah, okay. That's what it tastes like. <laughs> it is just tastes like a sour IPA. It's got a little bit of that maybe marshmallow flavor. Maybe a little. And maybe a little bit of fruitiness. But, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty good, actually. I like it. I mean, it's kind of... It's so sour, I couldn't drink a ton of this. Is it that sour? Good thing I've got... I mean, I can, but I wouldn't want to drink, like, more than one at a time. <laughs> one at a time. Oh, like no, uh, more in, than in, one in succession in, in a sitting. <laughs> okay, in a sitting. I definitely don't need to open two of these and go double fisted. Like, definitely you just don't talked need about to do having that. a pretty huge drinking problem. I don't know. I <laughs> would follow. Yeah. <laughs> so we should say this was a fan recommendation, wasn't it? This was a it fan was. recommendation. Someone sent us a message and said we should read this book. And, you know, all, these, all he said was, uh, you know, curious to what you guys would think of it. And we should also talk about the history of this, because it has a weird history, this book. It's become very famous in the last, like, 10 years. Yeah, it came out in the 60s, and no one fucking read it. It sold, like, a few thousand copies, and then nothing happened. And then, like, 50 years later, it blew the fuck up in Europe. And then people started noticing again. Hmm. And it called, like, you know, the greatest American novel that you've never heard of all over. Everybody was all on its dick. And then it started coming back here, too. And now it's big again. I don't know about big, but, you know. Among the literary community and, like, book nerds sure. and shit. It's definitely not, like, mainstream by any means. But for a book that no one effectively had heard of for 50 years. I think a good portion of the book nerd population is always looking for the unsung or forgotten books to you know, like, what did we skip over accidentally? And and there's people always yeah. trawling for that. And this is the latest one. Where they're like, holy shit. Now, not to compare directly, but, like, Melville falls into that category where he was totally forgotten it when his death and for decades no one gave a shit. And then all of a sudden people are like, he's amazing. So I think people are always eager to be the rediscoverer of that, something like that. It's definitely similar. I mean, th- this guy wrote other books that people liked. He wrote... Three other books. And he won the National Book Award. He was a professor? Yeah. He wrote, he wrote four novels. Um, this is his third, I think, I want to say. And his fourth one won the National Book Award for fiction in 1973. And then he never wrote another novel. Mm-hmm. And he was a professor until he died in like 1997 or something like that. So his life is, in some ways, you can see some creepy parallels to Stoner. I mean, it probably wasn't as fucking depressing. Probably not, but like the whole unsung and forgotten. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yes. <laughs> so, 
Uh, it starts, I mean, it follows the life of a guy named Stoner. What the fuck was his first name? William, William Stoner. No. Billy Stones. Just. Yeah. And this man is, never smokes weed ever, I'm sure. And he is definitely soft-spoken. Oh, yeah, this book is not about drugs at all. It just sounds yeah, like it is when you bummer. hear the title. <laughs> like, oh, a book called Stoner written in the 60s? <laughs> and it is definitely a downer. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, okay. So in the beginning, St- uh, William Stoner is a... Um, basically, he's a farm boy. He lives on a farm with his parents. And it sounds like the most miserable thing in the entire world. Every um, day is unending despair. That is like every day. And basically, he's just... His parents own the far, obviously own the farm. They live on the farm, and and William he just goes out and does some farm work every day. And the both parents work incredibly hard every day on the farm. At some point, when William is probably right around nineteen or something like that, somebody goes to visit the farm and says, "Oh well, oh, this is in Missouri, by the way. Oh well, they started a a university over in Columbia, Columbia, Missouri." Uh, and we think there's an agricultural college. You should send your son there. So they do. Because at this point, the, they've been farming so long that they're almost just growing dust and dirt. And they figure if he gets some book learning, he could make the farm work better. Because right now, everything sucks all the time. So that's like chapter one. And then chapter two, he goes to... He finally, he basically moves himself to columbia missouri to go to the college and he's staying with like an aunt and uncle or something like that the foots and they suck but they 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 suck suck he's never met them but basically they're gonna let him live in their attic if he spends like three or four hours a day on backbreaking farm labor for them and then every week while yeah and every weekend while doing all of his like schoolwork and then is it time for a beer? I was just going to say, yes, then he had a oh, beer. Oh, yeah, definitely time for Except a beer. not really, because yeah. they're the most puritanical people in the universe. The only joy they have is suffering. <laughs> There's very little alcohol in the book, though it happens occasionally. I guess we'll get to that. Very little. Here, I'll open this beer. This is called Compulsory Miseducation. And this, uh, two, Compulsory Miseducation, two. And this is from the Root and, root and Branch. And it's a collaboration with the Hudson Valley Brewery. And it is a multi-oat wheat sour double IPA brewed with citra hops and milk sugar and re-fermented on blueberry and peach puree. And it is 8%. I don't know if you could see it. It is a dark purple color with a purple head. It looks very like Wonka-ish in, in hue. It's very purple. And it, it, it is delicious. It is just a mm. little bit tart. Because blueberry, even a non-sour beer, if you had enough blueberry, that's going to give it a, a kind of tart flavor. There's just a hint of it, and the peach is really comes through. It really is just a... It's like half beer, half smoothie. It's, it's quite lovely. I don't know what Compulsory Miseducation 1 was. There's a whole long quote here on the side of the can from Paul Goodman. Uh, from an essay, I guess, or a work called Compulsory Miseducation. I'm not going to read to you. 
it, it has almost something to do with this point in the story, but actually he's not going to compulsory school and he gets an actual education. <laughs> but not in farming. No. At this point, um, I think it was, I think he was a sophomore, yeah. So in his second year of college, Stoner takes an English class with Professor, what's the professor's name? The first uh, one? Sloan. With Professor Sloan. And this part kind of didn't, one part, one thing about this part didn't quite make sense to me, but basically, pretty much after taking this class, Stoner, uh, William Stoner, is inspired to drop out of the agricultural college and then just become an English major. He's like, I don't want to do that. His grades were like mediocre in agricultural stuff. And he was just, it was like this life-affirming moment for him in the English lecture hall that he fell in love with literature. And so someone, professor, advises him to swap. Yeah. And, and even though when I was reading that part, I was like, because th- it was basically saying, and this was, you know, so it's such an amazing thing. But like the exchange that he has with the teacher in class, where Stoner was basically like, uh, this, the professor asks him a question and he just kind of goes, uh, I don't know. I think it was like just that like was he, it. Was, yeah. he was so taken aback with actually, this is the first thing in his life he'd ever actually enjoyed. And he was like, holy shit, what is this feeling? Oh, I'm happy with something because he'd never experienced that before because everything sucks all the time. Yeah. You know, I guess this is a a whole new world. He just, he just fucking dumbfounded that something could be interesting. That there's joy in life. He was a dirt farmer before. This is one of the few, one of probably two or three times in this book he experiences joy. Yep. Spoiler. (laughs) And so then he, he does what every bachelor's in English person does. They realize, oh fuck, there's no job. And then he gets a PhD. <laughs> well, his Professor Sloan tells him, like, you should be a teacher. And so he is hops for being a teacher. <laughs> this is called hop, hops for teacher. By, Have we had this before? Probably. I don't know. It's by Jay Wakefield. It's a good. Ooh, India jealous. Pale Ale. It's a Van Halen song. Well, hops yeah. for teacher, yes. Yeah. This is okay. I don't know. It's a pretty unobjectionable... It's not even like super bitter or super anything. It's just kind of, uh, oh well. So he becomes, he decides, I'm going to become a teacher. And they have this whole spiel. uh, And he goes to graduation and his parents come back and he's like, I'm not coming back to the farm. I'm just going to be a teacher. And they're like, okay. No, except they're not. Well, they they don't say anything. They don't say such like anything. Silent people. <laughs> but his mother. But he, there's the, right at that part. There's this line that says, "And his mother was just silently crying." Yeah. And they're just like so devastated. Except they keep it all inside. But they're so sad. When when he tells uh, his son he should go to college to learn agriculture stuff, he he speaks a few sentences, and they said. That was the longest speech his father ever made. So these are uh, not people that tell you how they're feeling. Old taciturn Mr. Stoner wasn't known for speaking much. It's like a contest over who could be the most depressed person in this book. The whole like first part of the book, everybody is just not only just so plain, but just so restrained and 
are painfully proper, but not in a like upper class British way, but in as a like hard scrabble American farmer kind of way. It's like no one has any personality, except that's not really true. It's that their personality is they're just so completely silent, not even laconic because they don't even have interesting phrases at times. They just, you know, they barely speak just nothing. They just have it's more like no every conversation they go reticent go and then they have a conversation. No, <laughs> I thought that was a good. I was I was really proud of that. <laughs> I can't see Nate still, but I hope he laughed or he gave me the finger. He's, or something. He's smirked. <laughs> so Stoner ends up uh, as a grad student because you can't just have a bachelor's degree. Even in nineteen oh five, you have to. No, it's nineteen fourteen. Oh, right, yeah. Because the First World War starts. Because then he makes his two buddies, Dave and... I forgot the other guy's name. Dave Masters and Gordon Finch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave Masters is definitely a porn name, by the way. It should be. And they just hang out and they have these like weird conversations where everyone they're both enamored with Dave Masters that he's so fucking wise and shit. And he says like... Shit that didn't make any sense to me. He's kind of I like a he's kind of like a 1910s edge lord. What's I mean? I'm familiar with edging. <laughs> well, what's an edge lord? Just like the guys are like <laughs> trying to be like, oh, I'm interesting and different, and humanity is so terrible, and I'm just you know above it all. I mean, in some ways, he is right about a lot oh, of stuff. Then yeah, but you know, he's trying to be interesting, and maybe he is, but also that's because everyone else in this entire state seems to be just barely existing or existing only to suffer. And he's like, let's go to war. Fuck it. Everything sucks anyway. And then he goes and he fucking gets his brain splattered out in a trench. Well, okay. Stoner, William Stoner stays at the college, but his two friends, they both go off to war and he almost goes with them. The stoner almost goes with them, but he decides not to, or more like Sloan, his professor says, don't do that. That's a stupid idea. Because he's old as shit, yeah, and he's like, I've yeah. seen this happen before, like, an entire generation of men just wasted for nothing because he lived through the Revolutionary and Civil War because he's old as time itself. <laughs> okay, he's not <laughs> that old. He, he lived through the Civil War, yeah. But, like... Uh, I remember when we sailed against Troy. Well, like, Gordon Finch is always talking about, like, we have to go to war to stop the evil powers, and we're all about it, and everyone is a true American will do it, and he ends up just going to finish his degree at Columbia and working at officer camp and never actually goes to the war, but he yeah. you know, chats it up all the time. Whereas Dave Masters, he goes over to France and then dies almost immediately. Got a bad case of bullet. Terminal. <laughs> End stage. Uh, and so anyway, uh, but um, at, right after the war, Gordon comes back, but he's like a captain and he's a hero, even though he kind of didn't do anything. He didn't, do any, he didn't even war. go to the war. And, and so, sort he's of becomes... He's got a uniform. Yeah, he's got a uniform. He kind of becomes like the main assistant to the dean at the college, who's a really old guy who can't do anything. So this young guy, Gordon, is kind of running the college and eventually becomes in charge. If you thought tenure was fucked up now for professors, back then it was just like, you are a feudal lord. Like, they can't get rid of you. This is this old man who's barely competent and sleeps in his office, and they're like, yeah, but he's, you know... He's, and he's always wandering around campus he's here. lost. He doesn't know where he is. 
Though they had mandatory retirement ages, which comes into play much, much he later. He might have been grandfathered in or great-grandfathered in. They might have made the rule because that guy was, was the so first old. father. <laughs> he invented English. <laughs> he discovered America. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say he sailed with Columbus because they're at Columbia. So right around this point in time at the end of the war is when Stoner meets, what is, it, what is, what is her name? Edith. Edith, the woman of his dreams, or so slash he thinks. Slash nightmares. Yeah, definitely slash nightmares. Yeah. If he was capable of emotion. And because he's had like no like life experience or he's never had relationships with anybody, definitely not with a woman, but he's just, uh, he barely has had friends and his family is so just cold and distant. He just kind of like doesn't know what to do. And he sees this girl who's pretty at a party and it's like, can I call on you? He's like, I've never seen a lady that was pretty before. I guess I'm in love now. Yeah, and then he they talk like four times, and then he's like, "Will you marry me?" And she's like, "Uh, okay, whatever." Yeah, whatever. She's like not excited. Like, like William is like clearly a really nice guy who like doesn't know what to do with his feelings, but definitely has them. Whereas Edith is like, "Okay." I guess we can get married. There's also there's there's clearly something wrong with her. Oh yeah, she's that's not broken. Oh god, in <laughs> definitely just like everyone else. <laughs> well, her whole thing is that she had wealthy parents, right? So wealthy yeah. family, and they sent her to these boarding schools for like young women's finishing schools. But everything was so repressive there. That she doesn't get, she doesn't have any idea like what fucking sex is or what relationships are like. She just knows how to host tea parties and like the right China setting and how to do that kind of shit. And so she's just like this shallow person who's missing, she's missing this emotional component. And she just sits there and like just turns off. She acts kind of like an abused child that grew up. Well, she was like neglected. That'll make you want to have a beer. Even So they kind of decide to get married, or more like the parents are like, uh, yeah, okay. And they like go and have a very quick wedding. No, that, maybe that was the other wedding. Uh, so, but they go, they have a wedding. and In his living room. Or in, in his, their living room, yeah. In their parents' living room. And clearly, even on the honeymoon, that just says, the honeymoon did not go well. It was like to St. Louis... Well, that's where the family lived or something. And even on the honeymoon, Edith is like, sex? What? I don't want to do that. She pukes. She pukes yeah. when he like tries to hug her. <laughs> and uh, I think what and it's also prohibition it? is just starting oh, at this yeah. time. So he tries to like set the mood and he has to get the like old shitty bottles of champagne that the hotel has that, you know, they've been allowed to sell their old stock or something. And then she yeah. like takes a sip, and then she gets in the bed, and she just kind of lays there, naked, dead fish like. Still, yeah. And then they don't they don't bang the first night, I think, because she gets she gets too drunk the first night, I thought, and then the second night they try again because the first night she spends the whole night crying and puking. He does bang her eventually. Yeah, like the second day, like once, and then never again. And she goes to puke, not quite. And then she's like catatonic practically for like weeks for years <laughs> yeah well eventually it's over 
and then they the so school year starts again, and Stoner becomes a he's like finishing his PhD, and he becomes a professor, and then eventually she uh, Edith is like, this is like a year, three years later, something like that. Three years of basically treating him like shit whenever he came home until the point where he felt so uncomfortable being there that he would just stay at work late to read and do work because when he got home, she would just be A, a fucking weirdo, or B, like openly antagonistic to him being in her space. And she like takes out a big loan from her dad so they can buy a house. He's like, I can't afford that. I make $6 a year. This is nineteen twenty. And she's like, it'll be fine. I need yeah. a house. And so they have this big-ass house. She's like, this is what I could do. So I did it. And she, like, starts crying, like, manipulates him. Yeah, she's crying, like I'd say, 75% does. of the time. The other, the other 25%, she's yeah. just catatonic. And eventually she decides, I want to have a baby in me. And then she just becomes sex addict-level banging. And he's like, you know what? This is, this is looking up. This is, this is not so bad. <laughs> I guess... I guess, I guess it was worth it. I mean, we hate each other, uh, and this entire marriage is a sham. But I'll, I'll deal with it for now. I could take it out, the anger sex on her, <laughs> as opposed to my hand in my little cubby. But then she gets pregnant, of course, because it's she sees this as, you know, and this is not an uncommon thing for a lot of people, not just women, but people who like see their life as like a checklist of things you're supposed to do, right? Like you're supposed to. Get married, get a certain, if you're getting a job, you get your career and you get your, your home and you get your partner and then you get your, you have a child because you're supposed to have a child. Like there are a lot of people that still do that. And she's clearly in that mode, which is like, it's time to have a baby. Yeah. That's the next step. And then it's like, that's not a very good reason to have a baby. (laughs) And it turns out in this case, it's not. Who would have thunk it? And after she gets pregnant, they never bang again. No. No. So then there's like a weird episode with the, he gets a new boss, Lomax. The hunchback of yeah. Notre Dame, kind the, of. So Stoner, now he's a professor, and he's been a professor for several years, and one of the new people in the department uh, seems like they like have one really good talk at one party one time, and he thinks, oh, okay, this is going to be great. Then the guy kisses his wife. Yeah, on the lips. Yeah, right? he's like, at the end just, of the uh, party, hobble over. Plants on her. So, Lomax is like he. What is it? He has a a broken leg. No, not broken. He has. He's he, basically like he got birth. He's defects. got a hump. He's got a. He's the hunchback of Kansas City. Yeah, he has some. He basically has some deformities, but he's like you know a pretty good like English professor. And everything's going fine, and then Stoner is, like, kind of enjoying... I mean, he's been, like, a professor for almost 10 years at this point, and he's one of the more senior ones, and he's getting better at it, and he's liking the classes he's teaching, and then he does one of the classes he does is, is a seminar, which is actually for uh, grad students, right? Yeah. Grad students, That's when there's only up. about... And this one kid, I mean, he's actually a grad student, too, named Walker begs to be let into the class even though the class is full. This is this is called the like graduate student seminar thing. And he's like, well, and this kid happens to be the favorite of Lomax. Because this kid is also disabled. He also has this this is the one who has like a shitty leg. A leg thing. Yeah. A shitty leg. 
That's the technical term. It's shitty leg. <laughs> this guy is uh, called Walker. This kid. I mean, it's not a kid. He's a grad student. But he's an amazing bullshit artist and has clearly completely fooled Lomax. I mean, he's he basically is like 10% brilliant at doing his schoolwork but doesn't do much of it and is amazing at then bullshitting the rest. So... Lomax and Walker like really like each other or probably just really sucks up. Lomax sees the misunderstood and and you know but downtrodden handicapped kid that he must have been so he has way more tolerance and sympathy and empathy for for Walker's crap and is willing to excuse basically everything and accuses the people who are against the kid, and later it'll be Stoner, of being like whatever whatever handicapped racist is called. <laughs> like he's ableist. So that's a big part. Like what are the odds? You know, like the other handicapped person in Missouri that learned how to read and they <laughs> hook up. So this so Walker, he like first he begs for like a bunch of extensions on his basically his paper or or thing that he has to do. Like, oh I, I just it's not ready yet. The I couldn't get the things from interlibrary loan. Oh no! And then I was sick. And then he. And then it literally comes to the second to last day. And one of his students named Catherine Driscoll presents her paper. She's one of the only women at the college, clearly, because it's still like 1930. Yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah, and then yeah. that's the second to last day. And then the last day, Walker has to present, and he's clearly just making shit up. And in saying pretty brilliant sounding things about the the woman's paper who presented basically like the day before or the week before, but he clearly hadn't done any of his own research. He hadn't actually done any work of his own. He's just brilliant at bullshit. He didn't even write it down. And Walker, yeah, he didn't even write it down because he could see, uh, Stoner could see that Walker wasn't even looking at his notes. He was just kind of making things up. So he confronts him. Uh, well, let me see your paper. That This was not the topic we agreed you were going to do your research paper on. Oh, well, I had to make extensive re- revisions near the end. Oh, really? Because you were just kind of making it up about that one thing. Could I see your final paper? No, you didn't ask anybody else for them. And, and clearly, Stoner knows that he didn't do anything, so he has to fail him. And this is where, uh, well, one of the other things that completely goes wrong for Stoner in his life, because Lomax becomes head of the department and then uh this is like a month later and walker has to do his whatever the thing Basically is to defend his thesis of some sort he has to do like he has to do an oral exam it's a it's like what do you know about literature yeah basically? it's an oral exam it's not defending his dissertation yeah oh his he has to defend his place in the program if you fail it they won't let you come back and, and so the setup is that three different professors sit in. Each one has 45 minutes to ask you questions. And then a bunch of stuff happens. Though I see that Mike has a beer because it's feel like it's been 45 minutes since we had a beer. So what's going to happen in this scene is that the professors are going to crit- uh, analyze the scope and depth of the candidate's knowledge or they're going to, uh, you know, uh, a say it, uh, and this is the a sayer from Root and Branch. A say what? You know, to a say. Foghorn like horn. It's how it's it's how Italian people talk. Like so, I said to him, 
And he says to me, <laughs> um, but the assayer, uh, or it could be assayer. I don't know. But oh. it's uh, the assayer here is a triple IPA from Root and Branch. It's 10% alcohol. And it doesn't have anything here except for a whole bunch of a quote from Galileo that I'm also, I, no, I'm not going to read it. <laughs> but reading this scene, I'm like, I don't know about you guys, but I remember a couple of times in graduate school where professors would say things to us about, uh, well, if you're going to go into a PhD program, you should do this and blah, blah, blah. And I had no intention of being a PhD student, but you, you for a hot second, you'd be like, maybe I should do that. I'm fucking 23. I have no idea what's going on in the world. And I'm smart. Yeah, like I'm fucking here and I've had dumb professors, so clearly it's not impossible to get a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then you then you look at the requirements, and you're like, hot fucking damn, I don't want to do any of that. Nope. And this part of the thing is like, reminded me like, oh yeah, that's that's why being like, who would want to deal with this? And we could ask him questions on literally any fucking book, it sounds like, is what yeah. happens. By the way, this beer is fantastic. Uh, Root and Branch is in... Upper, upper state New York. I don't know exactly how upstate, like Hudson Valley. But every once in a while at Evil Twin NYC, they have Hudson Valley cans there for sale to go. So that's where I picked this up. It is a super, like, Swedish, but not cloyingly sweet, but like certainly the murky New England kind of thing. Hmm. Well, a lot of Melanie, melon, not like melon, not Melanie like a woman Melanie. Melanie, Melanie Griffith flavors. <laughs> it's like old coos. Uh, a lot of melon notes. Quite delicious. So they're doing the test, and um, the first person that goes is Lomax, right? And he kind of lobs softballs to Walker Or the he, whole he time. asks him questions he knows that the kid knows. He asks them questions about his own thesis, because he's the thesis advisor. So he asks them just to, you know... And whenever a different professor asks a question, Lomax is like, let me just broaden the question a little and then changes it completely to make it something that the kid definitely knows about. And he can sound very eloquent when he's talking about something he knows. But then third and, la- third and final professor is Stoner. And this was like one of the awesomest scenes in the book. Yeah. And he's just like asking really... him, like, who was the... Could you name two works of literature from the Renaissance, and then he tries to, you know, stall. And he's like, nope, nope. But I would like to just broaden the question a little bit, sir. No. What, what is the name of the blah, blah, blah? And this kid knew nothing. And just like 45 minutes, clearly, of just like, you don't know anything, you don't know anything. These are simple questions you're supposed to know. Like, absolutely brutal. Like, basic understanding of anything aside from what he was specializing in and he had jack shit and i mean i couldn't have answered most of those questions but i'm not a phd student in literature in in renaissance or medieval literature yeah well so lomax gives him like a first you know like he's like this is my i have it's my duty i have to crush this boy so he's asks him what i assume are challenging but reasonable questions if you're actually planning to be an expert in this. Like, what do you say about this theory about whatever bullshit and this, and, and he's like, well, let me get back to my thesis. Like, no, 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 dude, you're not even, can you name, and he gets, one of the questions is, can you just name two works by Christopher Marlowe? And he's like, 
uh, well, there's the Faust and the Jews, the, the Maltese Jews. And he's like, I believe you mean the Jew of Malta and Dr. Faustus, right? Like, those are the ones you're trying to talk about. Like, he just calls him on it instantly. And it was like, oh, nerd porn. Like, it was, yeah. It was like, really? It's like, oh, take that, you crippled bastard. <laughs> and then Lomax is seething when, um, what's his name? Stoner refuses to pass. And it has to be unanimous, yeah. I think, right? Or Yeah, it has to so be. So when he refuses to pass the kid. So this is the part where they basically become enemies for life. Stoner and Lomax, the new department chair. And Lomax, you know, so first they can't agree, but Lomax is like, okay, well, we're not just going to tell him no. Let's just wait to think about it for 48 hours or for, you know, two days. And then they have a meeting in the dean's office and, and Lomax threatens to bring, bring Stoner up on charges because it's in the Constitution and the charges are that he's discriminating against a disabled person because he's just so ableist, though that word is definitely not in the book. And the, the only thing that really helps uh, Stoner out is that his buddy Finch is the like dean of the college the now, dean, essentially. Yeah. And he kind of smooths it over. Because he's like, yeah, I know, I get it. That kid's fucking totally incompetent. But, you know, I can only do so much in this system for some reason. It's politics. I could let your boss treat you like total shit forever. But I can't, I, uh, but I could keep him from firing you, essentially, is the result. And so instead of firing him, he just gives him the shittiest schedule in the world for decades. Which is three classes of freshman English, which, of course, no one wants to teach in is usually the class taught by the, you know, most junior professors or most junior if grad students. If it's not students. a TA. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or a TA. And then two classes of, what, the sophomore one? Like, basically, none of the classes that Stoner actually likes. And there's, like, one at 8 a.m. and one at 4 p.m., <laughs> and and it's yeah. and it's Monday through Saturday, like it's as spaced out as possible, and it's it's meant to be just like humiliating. But Stoner, because he's from that you know Missouri farm stock, he just kind of accepts it, which is definitely definitely a theme of the book, or definitely something I kept I kept like noticing where where Stoner he just kind of accepts whatever hand he's dealt. And he's like, well, I guess this is just what it is, and I got to just keep trying to do my best. It also keeps him from being home and it with was his sad. horrible wife. Um, and Also true. For the first few years, he has a wonderful relationship with his daughter, but the wife then decides to destroy that for yeah. no real reason other than because she's jealous, I guess. And she destroys the relationship by like forcing them apart and making the daughter basically live like the weird childhood that the wife had of like no contact and no joy and then takes away his office too. <laughs> just a real dick move. She starts moving yeah. her shit into it and be like, Oh, I need the space for my things, my art things. So eventually, you know, a few years go by and then he finds lady Catherine Driscoll again. She's like, Hey, read my thesis and give me some notes on it. It's like, I'll give you some notes on it. On them dick. titties. <laughs> and for the first time in his life he finds a nice lady and they get into some hardcore snuggles <laughs> <laughs> extremely hardcore this is from McKellar NYC it's called hardcore snuggles 
And it is a, where is it? IPA? Berliner style Ooh. sour ale with peach, black currant, and lavender. I feel like lavender is not a flavor. It's more of a perfume. So It's a potpourri ingredient. It's got a little funk to it. It's not as funky as sours used to be, but it's definitely more towards that scale. It's interesting. What do it's, black currants you know, taste like? Are they grapes? Blackberries? Something like that? I have no idea. Not a clue. No, they're like bigger, aren't they? They're like... Uh, oh, no, they're tiny. They're little, little tiny. Oh, I'm thinking... I don't know what the fuck I'm thinking. They're, they're baby raisins. Baby raisins? Very... It's like... Imagine, well, okay, I'm thinking I of dried band. currants, actually. You mean like... But they're... they're this is like pre, pre-grapes. They're related to grapes. At least this is what I, I'm imagining. But they're just really <laughs> tiny. All right. I don't know what Are the fuck still? it is. It's, I think it's an English thing. They don't really have them here in America. Uh, it's all right. It's okay. I mean, it's... it's you know, it's a sour. It's, just, it's another kind of juice. Whatever. I'll drink juice. I've got no problem with that. Maybe it's kind of like how you could take roughly the same ingredients and you could make a, like, pie. And you could also take the same basic ingredients and formula and make you know like uh a cake <laughs> maybe that's how you could we could imagine the beer versus the sour beer thing to extend this stupid metaphor they're still in the dessert world so yeah i'm gonna stick with that no, I, yeah i get it i just you know i'm sure there are some purists out there who are like those are, that's not beer and i'd be like i get it yeah you're right but i'll drink them now that they're not uh smell like a sweat sock found in a dead body of a Greek yep. man who only ate blue cheese. Stoner finds himself among Catherine Driscoll's uh, intimate parts. And they carry yes. on this very open affair for a while, like a year or so, right? At a time when, you know, just having a man over to your apartment was grounds for being fired if you weren't married. At first, they're, they're, he's like, I'm carrying this book to her. And then my penis fell on her. But then they just stop even trying. And everybody knows... It's it's kind of uh, you know dangerous politically career wise for him maybe reckless you know he's he doesn't give a shit and for her oh yeah she's it's worse for her hussy he's a tenured professor he can get like shamed but she's she's like nobody you know in this this little world they live in she'll be tarnished. and because nothing can go ever go right Lomax finds out and decides. This is it. This is my time for revenge. A decade later, or, you know, years later. He's just been lying in wait. And basically says, doesn't, doesn't really threaten Stoner so much, because he's a tenured professor, he can't really lose his job, but he's, he's basically going to say something like, well, just let it be known that Catherine Driscoll has had men coming to her house at all hours. Some of them coming in her house. <laughs> they see each other like one more time and they're like just accepting their fate like before and she packs all their stuff she packs all their stuff and leaves like within a day they went on a little vacation where they pretended to be married yeah so they they had gone away for 10 days but no now they never see each other again the one sort of joy that he ever had in his life and then he toils endlessly for several more decades of despair. Writing a book on rhetoric or something? He writes a book at the beginning that, you know, no one really notices because it's so obscure. And it's like, it's fine, but it's nothing special. And then he's, he's writing, he's like writing another book, but I don't remember if he ever finishes it. 
Uh, he doesn't, or at least it's never published. Yeah. What's the book about? Is it about grammar? It's about grammar. Actually, I have a beer for that too, so we'll do my next. Double team. Double team. This is uh, one of the dumber connections, so you could figure out who made it. This is New Yorkers only <laughs> wait online, not in line from Evil Twin NYC. It's a double dry hop triple IPA with Rewaka and Galaxy Hops coming in at 10%. I think I said that already. And, and Jimmy, exactly what does this have to do with grammar? Online versus inline is a grammatical choice. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I think it is. Which preposition you use An there? An English professor is going to uh, do a lot of grammar. Yeah. I mean, he does teach a lot specifically about grammar and rhetoric. He does. Isn't rhetoric like the uh, the way you form your sentences in terms of their persuasive ability and how they... Yeah, it, it's about persuasion rather than the like, you know, verb, subject, verb, object kind of grammar thing. He teaches like medieval and renaissance stuff that most people have never fucking heard of and never will hear of. But he's concerned with like the the sentence structure more than like he's not interested in like oh these fabulous stories. It's like how are they written and what is written shit like that. You know stuff you get into in PhD level. But basically, people are like I'd rather kill myself than learn about that. Well, it's it's like a uh, I would imagine for a book as book fans, it's a bit like a biopsy. You know they take they've taken this book and they've cut it apart and they could tell you exactly how everything works and you're like great. But now that is a lifeless thing. <laughs> like you've take you've killed it. Like it, you yeah. can't you can't enjoy it for the the literary elements of it of like like the story and the entertainment and the message when it's just like I'm really focused on how the f- structure of this parallels that of this other poet from a hundred years earlier and through verb choice and shit like that. Like I can't even fake this kind of PhD talking, but like that kind of nonsense that they get bogged down into must really crush the the joy in anything. Much like every aspect of this book. It's true. Of Stoner's life, yeah. <laughs> oh, so this this beer is nice, by the way. <laughs> Great. Cool. So I will back to the him writing the book. Would you say writing a book uh, requires a lot of synthesis? <laughs> yes, yes I, I would say it does. <laughs> 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 I think that is literally what writing one of these academic books probably is. This yes. beer is called Synthesis from Greenpoint Beer and Ale Company in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Could have guessed that. I actually bought this at the taproom. It says serve at 45 degrees. Huh, that's interesting. Like at a, that, the kind of angle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all going to pour out if I tip it to 45 <laughs> degrees. <laughs> Don't go past that. Uh, I'll have to chug it. Okay, meant. it is a. <laughs> I will. Uh, <laughs> it's a seven point four percent India Pale Ale, and it's nice. It's it's more of the old style kind of IPA, but somehow they made it sweeter at the same time, which I know doesn't make sense, but that's what it tastes like to me. Not super bitter. Pretty smooth. I'd say it's pretty good. That's my synthesis on this beer. So, okay, there's a bit of, the, there's only a little bit of the book left at this point, but basically, uh, and you have to figure what's the saddest way this could end because you can't end happy after all this, you know, emotional abuse. So, uh, his daughter finally like grows up 
and wants to go off to college or doesn't go, but the but the stupid mother Edith is like no she must stay here and be popular oh yeah there was the part when she was like 12 the where the where the where daughter was 12 fat. where she gained 50 pounds in one year and then was really fat for a couple of years and then but basically she was just depressed she would like just stare at the wall <laughs> like that was her life at that point like clearly this child is so emotionally damaged. Yeah. She used to sit in her, in Stoner's office with him while he did his papers and his reading and stuff and they would talk and they had a great time. But then once the mother inserted herself and said, you can't be in there. He's got to work, blah, blah, blah. It was just a, you know, a ploy to, to break them both. And so she just got fat. But eventually, after a few years, she gets, you know, all the fat redistributes and she just becomes hot. <laughs> That's how it works. I'm waiting for my day. I mean, sometimes it <laughs> yeah. does. She ugly ducklings. Anyway, so finally, by the end of high school, she's like popular and boys are coming to pick her up all the time. She's very popular for a reason. Yeah, definitely. And the mother is so happy about it to have a popular daughter. Uh, and then the daughter, so the, the Edith forbids Grace, that's the daughter's name, forbids Grace from going away to college to in, on the East Coast, says, no, you must stay here. And then she becomes a freshman and then immediately gets pregnant. And uh, the, the, they, like, basically find the boy and kidnap him. Not, not actually, but they basically kidnap him and force him to marry the girl. And then they move in with, the parent, with his parents in St. Louis, but the day they got married was three days after Pearl Harbor. The husband immediately signs up for the army because he knows that his life is going to be terrible if he stays at home. So he immediately signs up for the army and then promptly gets killed six months later on a Pacific Island. Never doesn't even live to see his, his child born. With a smile on his face because he got out of being in that marriage. Yeah. <laughs> But later, the daughter also says, oh, no, I did that on purpose because I wanted to get out of here. I got pregnant on purpose, and I did that to that boy. I ruined his life so that I could get out of here. And she stays in St. Louis with uh, grandparents. And she becomes a full-blown alcoholic. Unlike us. No, yeah. yeah. We have it under what? control compared well, to her. So basically, she also gets a PhD. Yeah, the good kind. Yep. <laughs> I had to think about that. It's like, I don't remember that, but like, oh, right, drinking problem, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so let's, we'll just skip to the end because, you know, the plot is not as much left. Where Stoner, now that he's like 60 65 or, or almost like 65, he's, he's reached mandatory retirement age. But he could extend it a little he's bit. He's going to try to extend it, but then he can't because he gets cancer. And then he does. So he has to retire from life. Well, first he's like, I'm going to fuck you, Lomax. I'm going to stick. Well, also, he started doing something a few years previously. He stood up for himself in a small way. Lomax had programmed him for, you know, whatever, freshman English one again. And Stoner decided, fuck it. I'm just going to teach the class I want to teach. I'm teaching, you know. Late high Medieval middle ages rhetoric, rhetoric or whatever bullshit it was. And 
And the kids all complained and they all tried to get the class changed. And he's like, I'm a fucking tenure professor. Make me do it. Make me change what I'm teaching. And that like forced it's Lomax. It's like the nerdy actually, version of a sit-in. It's as if a sit-in could get much nerdier in a college setting. And then <laughs> the Lomax had to kind of give in and had to say, all right, fuck it. He could teach real classes again. It's been 20 years. And so that gets, yeah. we mentioned earlier, that gets Stoner writing another book, I think, or maybe he's been doing it all along. Um, and he's like, fuck it. I'm going to work. It says I have to retire at 65. Fuck Lomax. Uh, I can extend it for a couple of years. I'm going to do that. I have no intention of retiring. Fuck that guy and his hump. And that forces them to actually talk to each other for the first time in a couple of decades. But it doesn't work out because he gets cancer. And then the entire last uh, chapter of the book is basically him. First, he's like, oh, the doctor is like, oh, well, we're just going to do a little uh, surgery and try and get it out. And then it turns out it is definitely not going to work. And he's definitely going to die. And then he's on a serious, you know, this, the serious like painkillers. This is like 1960. I mean, this, the part when this take with this is taking place is something or somewhere around like 1961, 1962. Where, I mean, even like chemotherapy drugs today are pretty horrendous. So I can only imagine back then they were like oh, even just worse. Like a fuck so ton of morphine. Terrible. It just made you sit next killers. to a nuclear bomb for a few hours. <laughs> and he's basically either in and out of consciousness or kind of hallucinating. But he also just kind of accepts that this is his fate. That this is just like... I just have to, not, not only do I have to endure this, but this is the last thing I have to endure. Like he, 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 he you know, Edith for, at some point is like, oh, but I'm so sad. We should do something. And he's like, no, we don't have to. And the entire time he's dying, laying in bed, and everyone's going to visit him and everything is, you know, his life is ending. They, they keep saying, what did you expect? And just like, yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> I guess I didn't expect a happy ending to this one. <laughs> and he sees his daughter one last time, and he said something like, something like, I'm glad she has something. Oh, yeah. Meaning her drinking problem. Like, I'm glad she has something. He said uh, she would live out her days quietly, drinking a little more year by year, numbing herself against the nothingness her life had become. He was glad she had that, at least. He was grateful that she could drink. Aren't we also grateful for that? For ourselves, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially after reading this fucking book. Um, and then he dies, yep. <laughs> and the last page is basically he dies, last paragraph, boom, the end. The lights go out. There's nothing about anyone mourning him or remembering him at the end. It's like that's they say it. in, the, in the introduction or the beginning chapter or something like that, it says, like, he is a totally forgotten yeah. dude and no one cared. He died as like, and he was like an associate. I think he never even made professor. He was like an associate professor for his whole life. And they gave him like, they dedicated some weird little plaque to him in the library in some stupid old book that no one cared about or some shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was just like, yeah, he was no one. Yeah. People like heard about him, but you know, as time goes on, like, he'll be like, I don't know who that was. And what did we think of it? So, okay. I, you two read this before I did, and I finally read it this weekend, but let, tell, tell the dear listeners how you described it to me. I fucking loved it. This was one of the best books I've ever read in my life. I don't know why, but I, this is a book I really, 
I think it was the way it was written. I, I want to say that, like the, the language of it, which is not particularly special somehow. Like it's not, it's not like the most beautiful sentences. It's not. There's nothing super inventive about the language. I mean, they were oh, good. It was super. It's not that the sentences are bad. I but, just really know. wanted to read this book. Like when I once I started. When I started it, and it was like, oh, some fan wants us to read this book about a dead college professor. Fuck you. And then reading it for like 10 pages, this is, I need to, I, I am so hooked. I was so into it, and I felt so defeated at the end of it. Like, I was emotionally invested in the book. <laughs> I really got into it. Just drained? Yeah. Exactly. So I thought it was great. It's one of the best books I've read recently. In a long time, probably. It stands out. I mean, we read yeah, a lot of for books sure. for this podcast, and we read books outside of the podcast. This stands out in a way that most don't. I don't know why, but it does. It's, it's special somehow to me. There, it, it is odd. It's like you like describing it, even describing it here. If someone just listened to our description and be like, that sounds, you know, whatever. But there's something about it. It's, like, it's literally, you can't, you have to read it for yourself to really get it and maybe you won't even get it but you won't you can't hear someone else tell it it's there's something <laughs> yeah so yeah. it sucks to be you who yeah. just listened through an hour of this podcast skip that part and listen to this part where we talk about it <laughs> <laughs> but it's it is there's something about it that it's in there's a, there's a lot in it because he is a professor of rhetoric and it's all about how something is written and you know most and it's he never it's never really described much beyond the fact that he does it. But, you know, there's nothing particularly special about the way this is written, but it, for some reason it does set itself apart. And you don't, you don't, I don't know. It's, 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 it's fucking hard to describe why it's good. Uh, and maybe if we had, like, all our PhDs in literature, we could, but we don't, so I don't know. I expect Nate's going to disagree with us. Well, no, no, I really liked it. Oh, I'm surprised. The only part I disagree with is that you said, well, you said just a second ago, is that you were hooked by page 10. And I wouldn't say I had that reaction. In fact, it was almost, well, not only was it clearly very depressing from the beginning, but just things were just so plain and restrained in stoner's life it's like no one had a personality as i was saying before in the beginning in the first even like third probably i was kind of thinking like i'm i mean this is okay but i wasn't didn't feel into it but by the end i was totally into it and i really felt like the character had a lot of life to it and i really felt for the guy and you know when he uh in in the like um the committee thing where he had to question Walker. And I was like, yes, take that. Yeah, it's yeah, like awesome. the nerdiest then, fight ever. But you're invested for some reason. And when he finally, uh, you know, gets his, when he does the thing where he's like, I'm just going to teach my, you know, graduate seminar to the freshmen because that's what I want to teach. And he like gets his way, at least in a little bit. I was like, yes. And when he finally had the relationship with Catherine, it was like, oh, I'm so happy for the guy. <laughs> Even though, you know, because the way books are written that, oh, whenever something good happens, the exact opposite bad thing is going to happen right after. And I was like, oh, I'm so scared. No, please. Anyway, I was really, really into it by the end. And I really, really did like it. But it took a while. I definitely had to read it for a while to get into Could it. Could it be because, Nate, you're from New England where people are also restrained and you... 
This is how <laughs> this is how life is. Not There's nothing strange that here. bad. Oh my god. Not th- not. I mean, I would say New Englanders are quite a bit more restrained than uh, New Yorkers tend to be. I think that's definitely true. But not the just like the utter hopelessness of his like farm life is like wait hold on new england's not that bad so this guy has three other books and they all recently were republished they were all languished in you know obscurity i'm sure they're gonna like see a resurgence after this one i i i I picked them up i'm gonna read them (laughs) i want to read the other three i then they're all different they're all really weird like one is about uh, Rome under Augustus. <laughs> one is like a Western. Oh, really? The, okay. Yeah. One. That's the only one the book award for. One is in the like 1880s when I got with like a bunch of dudes hunting buffalo. Like there's, it's just really weird. So I'm. They were all republished by I forget which. Like New York. Uh, fuck, I forget what the name of the publisher is that pub, like puts out like artsy books and reprints of stuff. Uh, and they did Stoner, and then this was is has generated enough buzz that his other three novels that had been, you know, forgotten for sixty or seventy years, are now all available again. So I I got them and I want to read them. So maybe we can do some on the podcast. I'd be down. I'd be I'd be interested in really kind of any of those just because they sound so different. I found this uh, review of the book because I looked up the stuff about the book because uh, I didn't know fucking anything about it. And so I looked at a few of the reviews and everybody, what they were saying about it. And I found this one thing. I was wondering what you guys thought of this in The New Yorker called, the article is called The Greatest American Novel You've Never Heard Of. And uh, it says, here again at the end, it's, and it quotes, the sunlight passing his window shone upon the page and he could not see what was written there. And then it says, for all the jewel-like beauty of its own prose, Stoner tells us that the words themselves are inessential. Literature, like Stoner himself, is only an imperfect reflector of that light that comes from outside. And maybe that's kind of huh? like like what it like. We could we can't really describe why this book is good because on face value, it sounds fucking boring. A bit, yeah. It's it's one of those. Things, I've, I've tried to get my wife to read this book, and I've been explaining her like, no, it's really, it's really good. And then she's like, what's it about again? And then I find myself describing it. And she's like, yeah, that doesn't sound good at all. I'm like, no, please believe yeah, me. No, I, from the description, it sounds terrible. Funny thing, by the way, he apparently was a raging alcoholic. So that PhD joke is really most, most good now. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say, uh, it reminded me of, you guys, you guys know about Taoism? It's one of that Chinese magic bullshit. A little bit. Yeah, kind of. Well, th- there's a... The one of the central beliefs of it is that you know the Tao means like the way, like it's the indescribable thing. And one of the central beliefs of Taoism is that uh, words and names for things limit what you perceive the thing to be. So if you name something, you're kind of maybe too narrowly defining something, and you can't ever accurately describe what something is with words. That's why you have to kind of like talk your way around it. So maybe there's something like this where it's like it's written a boring ass story about a guy who is a mediocre professor in the middle of nowhere and everything sucks all the time. But there's something else to it that you can't quite get. But you know it's there, but you can't 
you can't write it out. And it's never going to be written out in a way that, the way you want to understand it. I don't know. I can see that. Yeah. I, I can get on board with that. I didn't take any English classes in college, so I don't know. <laughs> I think it's better not <laughs> to, frankly. I. The more English class. I know. I you... did take the required English classes in college. I took none. But as someone who didn't, and, you know, as people who, people who do love this book that did take, you know, there are PhDs in English and people that, like me that haven't taken any since high school and didn't do very well in high school English, this is still hands down. This is a, is a fucking work of art. Couldn't tell you why. I think it's, I think it's great. It's also, I mean, is it another feather in its cap. It's a short book. Like, it's, not a, it's heavy emotionally, but like, you'll read it fast. It's worth your time, you know? It's not like we're saying... It doesn't like, drag. It's not like, oh, go, go pick up this 800-page fucking tome. This book, it's, you'll read it in a couple days, and you'll be like, that was great. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the thing, like, I guess the futility of, of like... I, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to, like, what is the point? You know, like, what was the, what was the message you know, the guy was an English professor. This wasn't an accidental book. He wasn't like, here's a good story. You know, shit has intended here. What is he saying? I don't know. Uh, basically, you know, I think it comes down mm. to like an ordinary life is worth talking about. I don't know. Mm. So the question is like, what is the central idea of the book? As an English teacher might say. I had a, I had a weird thought. Uh, I actually, since we're all under quarantine and everybody's just, you know, hanging out watching Netflix as, you know, we are, as Americans do. We just finished The Office again yesterday. And it ends with, and this is not a spoiler because everyone's seen The Office except Nate. Uh, but it ends with <laughs> Pam, <laughs> ends with Pam talking about, it's like, I never understood why you picked us to do this documentary about. And it's like, we're just nothing special. It was nothing ordinary. And she's like, but maybe that's why you did it. Because, you know, there's, beauty in ordinary things and it's just you know nothing particularly special about this man but something interesting in that it doesn't have to be some grand adventure it's just a guy there's really no central conflict even it's just the story of one sad dude who does his best despite everything being a constant nightmare yeah yeah I think that's a good answer we'll score one for Pam and on that note, we'll definitely need a beer. Definitely. Okay. Uh, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. Or follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you've listened this long, don't wait for your entire life to pass you by in a terrible series of awful experiences with occasional highlights and then you die alone. Leave us a review. Uh, maybe a five stars, even better. And that would, that would help us. That might be one of the highlights in our dismal existence that this book has made us aware of. And this book was suggested by a listener. And if you want to do that, you can, you can just go on Patreon slash Drunk Guys Book Club and, you know, send us money. <laughs> it's not a complicated system. It's not. We'll Ones read for money. of people have done it. And we'll give a thank you to dear listener Daniel who suggested this book. So props to you, Daniel. And, you know, thanks for making us read this book because I never would have fucking found it. 
Nope, me neither. No, I had never heard of it, and I really thought it was about stoners. I was... It was a good chance. I thought it was going to be about pot, and I was pleasantly surprised it wasn't. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a pot guy, but... And uh, check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters, and thanks for listening. Thank you.